Hey, y'all. Real quick before I hit play on this episode of Familypreneur for you, I want to be sure that you know that I have a brand new podcast available for you to check out. It's called Just Marketing, and you can find it on this podcast platform. Go ahead and search for Just Marketing and hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. Then come back here and listen to this episode of Familypreneur. It'll still be here waiting for you. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Familypreneur, the podcast for family-first entrepreneurs building profitable and progressive businesses. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Meg Brunson, and my pronouns are she, her. Before we get started, I want to remind you that this podcast episode isn't going to change a thing in your business unless you take action. And the best way to follow through is by joining us inside of the Familypreneur Business Accelerator. It's where we work, win, celebrate, and grow together. Head over to familypreneur.co to join us today. All right, let's do this. Hey, Familypreneurs, welcome, welcome. Today, I am super excited. We have Shahela. She is a mom of two rambunctious boys. And when she isn't juggling the madness of virtual school, she also works as a freelance graphic designer, illustrator, and product photographer. She hosts, um, she also hosts and produces her own podcast called I Am a Muslim and That's Okay, a lighthearted take about being Muslim in America. I am super excited today to introduce you to Shahela Frazee. Thank you so much for being here today. What many people don't know is this is our second recording um, <laughs> because my first one. You I, them no, then, Meg. <laughs> I like to be transparent for my familypreneurs because I think sometimes, I mean, not that I'm like super, you know, famous or anything, but they hold people to a pedestal, right? You know, and I right. want people to know that I am not perfect, that even though most of my episodes are amazing, sometimes my sound quality is terrible and we have to re-record. So <laughs> I want people to know. Um, and I feel like that also speaks to how amazing you are because you're re-recording uh-huh. with me uh, <laughs> with no complaints. So thank no, you. No, like thank you. No, thank you so much for having me, Meg. And like I told you, it's like my it's my second chance. I make my I get to make myself look better. So here it is. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo. All right. Well, I want to start at the beginning, right? Start at, <laughs> somewhat at the beginning. You were in traditional, what everybody would think of as traditional employment, and right. you made the decision to step out and pursue entrepreneurship. Can you tell me a little bit about what led up to that transition? Well, yeah. Um, Here's the thing. Sometimes it's not even about your own personal decision. Um, Sometimes life happens. And that's what sort of happened to me. I, you know, I did my bachelor's, bachelor's in graphic design. And, you know, some of the uh, industries that are open after that. One of them was advertising. That was my first job. That was my first corporate job in advertising. And just as a preface, I this was me working in Pakistan because I did my education and um, all my work in Pakistan. And my first job was an advertising job. I did a little bit of creative uh, content creation, um, a little bit of marketing journalism, you know, about a year and a half, two years I did that and then I got married and um, I moved with my husband to the US and this was smack dab in the middle of a recession. Um, I sort of, you know, 
tried to look for jobs in advertising, but it was a hard time to really find anything, especially when you have international experience at that time. It was a different, it was a completely different field, uh, like playing field. Uh, I think employers over here were not sure, you know, how good would an international candidate be. And I just, I just did not get any feedback or any responses to any of my job searches. And, you know, life happens. I had two kids, my two boys, and you're raising them. And I moved around a lot. Um, there's a running joke in my house that, um, but after we moved to the U.S., we moved about eight times um, in like we moved eight different houses. So we're not even settled in one place. And, uh, you know, I tried to pursue my master's first time was in Michigan. But then we, when we moved from Michigan to Texas, uh, none of my uh, credits would transfer. And that's a problem. You know, you're almost starting from the beginning again. So, you know, it's, it just sort of becomes really complicated. And, uh, you know, this was like about seven to eight years into being in the U.S. I finally found an online master's course, which was in strategic communication from the U University of Iowa. And I could do that entirely online. And the advantage of that was that um, if I moved again, my credits were still intact. You know, that that in itself is such a huge relief because... You know, I can't keep doing the same thing over and over again. It was the slowest, <laughs> slowest master's in history. It took me four years to do my master's, but I did it. And um, after that, um, it was uh, basically the, the opportunity that opened up for me was in PR. And um, I worked for, a, 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 I first did my internship at a, a PR company. But again, things shifted so rapidly. This was not a... It's the same kind of corporate job that I was used to when I was working a corporate job. Um, this was entirely remote and which is great when you think about it, especially when you have smaller kids, you know, you've got the school pickup schedule, all of these things, doing the work when you're remote makes it much easier. But the disadvantage was that I was on contract. That's the first time I had ever worked on contract and it's not the same as when you're a corporate employee, there are no benefits or anything of that sort. And by the end of that year, this was 2019, just before the pandemic hit. And they were like, here's your two weeks notice. We don't need you anymore. And that was it. And I was laid off unceremoniously just before the pandemic. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, I don't know what to do with myself because yeah, the pandemic started and you're still applying for jobs, but all you're getting is a big fat no. Uh, let's be honest. <laughs> you're getting a big, big fat no, no out of all of this. And I was like, this is not working out because the, for the first time you, I had a really good look at the playing field. The fact is I didn't have as much experience as those that were much younger than me. And I was, I was at a heavy disadvantage. So I was like, I see a lot of people doing the, going the freelance route. Let me see if it'll work out for me. And that's when I decided that I would start my own freelance gig as a graphic designer, illustrator, and product photographer, all three things that I've always loved doing. Um, but you know, you never think about it that way to do it uh, as your own boss, 
because we had grown up traditionally because, you know, I'm old as the hills now. That's what we grew up with. We work, we grew up with corporate jobs. Freelancing is a pretty new thing. So, I mean, yeah, go ahead. You talked about, you talked about coming over from Pakistan and starting your, your, your search there. Um, and you felt like, you know, people weren't sure if they wanted an international. Do you feel like you were facing racism or I don't know if racism is the right word. Sometimes I get confused about the ism, <laughs> but do you think some of that was like based on your ethnicity or there, there, your There appearance? is a definite bias. And let me, let me preface again, because um, at that time I didn't wear the hijab. So I was mm. not visibly Muslim. It's not just that. Um, the the thing is, there is a certain perception that if there is somebody who's coming from abroad, one of the major things that they see is that maybe this candidate, this candidate can't possibly be qualified enough. And the second thing is, how good is their English? That is one of those things mm. that sort of is in people's heads. And it's sort of for them, it mattered at that time. I see that it th- that is shifting now with the younger generation, younger immigrant generation, that that is no longer something that holds them back. But at that time, it was definitely a thing that they were not sure. Like whenever I used to speak, it used, you could see the shock on their faces. Like her her English is proper. Oh wow, I was not expecting that. So, that's the thing. It was at that time that was definitely a barrier in people's mindsets that could potentially have, um, you know, kept me from getting a job. But again, it was a very tricky time as well. The recession was a tricky time. It was hard sure. to even retain the jobs you had. But there, so there may have been numerous things yes. at play there. And I yes. think I always think back, you know, to the way I was raised being raised American and going to public school and stuff. And it was a while I was grown before I Mm -hmm. realized this is kind of embarrassing, but again, full transparency before I realized that like Pakistan has cities and colleges and like, like people aren't just, and you know what I mean? Like, because we're not, we're taught that we're like, that America is like this pedestal of perfection Mm. and advancement. And so, I mean, I think I, I can't help but wonder how much that that plays into it. And we're not going to dwell on that issue. I just wanted to <laughs> no, touch I, on it. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't dwell on it. You know why I don't dwell on it? Because I can see that changing. Um, yeah. I can because I have two young boys. OK, I don't want them to have to have where their parents came from or any of their background to affect any of these things. But now I see a lot of this in the younger generation that they understand the the bigger world. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I credit social media a lot for this because it has brought in a lot of exposure to international culture. You know, when when I, like, stepped foot in the U.S., K-pop was not a thing, okay? <laughs> and I've always been a fan of anime, but that was not even a big thing at that time. 
but now it's mainstream and I'm like, wow, this is, this is fantastic. This is so great. And that, you know, for, that is a great thing because those that are younger won't have to face the same kind of challenges we did. Yes. I love those shifts and I see them happening. Mm. I, that's why I try to talk about things transparently, even if it makes me look silly or, or stupid, um, because I think it's important that we, we address them and confront them and things like that. But now to jump back a little bit, um, you, when we last talked about entrepreneurship, you were just kind of starting in, you had two young boys, we were in the middle of a pandemic. What were some of the challenges you faced either, you know, mindset wise or like physical challenges with, with getting your business up and running? I had zero idea what I was doing. Okay. That's the thing. You don't, I, I mean, you have the idea. Okay. The idea is great. Okay. Theoretically, the idea is great, but there's so many pieces that have to go into place. And I didn't know that. Um, but you know, again, bless the all online community. Um, all these wonderful women that have, um, these groups uh, on social media that will guide you through entrepreneurship and being a freelance business, everything that you can ask them the, a question freely and they will answer it. I didn't know I had to register myself as a business. I had never paid taxes as a business. And, you know, there are certain stipulations and they will also offer you their services for whatever it is that you need help with guidance. Or if you need an accountant, you know, I didn't know you could find an accountant through a social media group, you know, that's great. But that's the thing. I didn't know what I was doing. I had to like from square one, figure out how this was going to work. It was not just about like setting up a website and you're done. It's not, that's not how that works. Websites are important. And I'm not saying websites are not important. You put up, put up, put up a portfolio. Um, but you do need certain steps to make sure that you can, um, like work efficiently as a business and functional, be functional as a business. I think the only, I think, disadvantage to that is that there's so much information out there that at one point I was frozen. I was like, <gasps> I don't know if I have all of these pieces together. Is somebody going to sue me? <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those valid fears because you don't know how it works. But then you have to sort of breathe and be like, okay, I'm going to ask ask a b and c question and most of the time they will answer you and put you at ease and you can take the next steps and it's a slow process that's one of the things i also had to learn that it doesn't happen overnight you do have to plan certain things out that okay you've registered your business and how to register i didn't know how to register a business i mean there's several different ways and you can pay other companies to do it or you have to do the legwork do it yourself you know all of those things I had to figure that out while doing the other 10,000 things that you do as a mom, you know, I, and I was virtual schooling. I just, my kids just went back to in-person schooling, just like it's barely been a week. Okay. Past two years, I've been trying to virtual school them. Their Zoom meetings are not working. They don't know what mm. to do. What, where do you upload the homework? You know, all of those things happen. And I was trying to juggle that and plus try to figure out how am I going to open my business? I don't know. Okay. And so I was trying to figure that out. And in the middle of that, my third thing was that I started my own podcast. And again, it was very random, but here I was trying to juggle all three of these things 
at the same time. I think that's the difficult thing about being a mompreneur. It's not ever one thing. Like anybody out there who's a mom, it's never one thing. It's always 10 billion things and those 10 billion things have to sort of fall in place. So that was, I think, starting up and getting over your own initial fear of starting it because, again, I was used to the corporate life. I was used to the corporate job where you had somebody else as boss. And I think that's a terrible mindset when I think back at it because especially the jobs I worked for, sadly, two out of my three jobs had toxic bosses, okay? And with those toxic bosses, you sort of get into this really awful squished mindset where there are people taking advantage of you for real. Um, so when you free yourself from that and then you realize I have to be my own boss and all the th responsibilities that come with it, it can be a little overwhelming. But you sort of have to push through that as well because you're doing this for yourself for the and I think that's the great thing about being freelance or an entrepreneur that uh, further on you may have other employees uh but they're not it's not the same mindset as a corporate job you're not boss exactly you are somebody who's in charge but you got to be human about how you're working but you're invested in the business because it's like, yes. it's yours. You know, people it's say it's yours, like your baby, yes. like yeah. you built it. Where most of yeah. those CEOs or, or bosses, even in the corporate space, like they didn't build it. They applied for that job and were hired. Right. There's a difference. Right, right. Even if you built your own company at a corporate level, and I, I studied this in various, like uh, uh, the courses I did when I was doing my master's, is like when you're at the top, the disconnect is real. The disconnect is real because the CEO does not know what the manager is doing. Really, there's like literally seven, eight, nine, ten, hundred people in the middle. The, the CEO doesn't know, you know, uh, what the delivery guy is doing or what your secretary is doing, so on and so forth. All the people that are making the cogs work, they're disconnected from it. Yeah, they have decisions to make, but the disconnect is often what causes problems in any corporate setting. And I'm not saying that small businesses don't suffer from that, but the this levels of disconnect are less. So if something goes wrong down the line, it's the job of the boss. I keep using the word boss, but you know, the, the person who's in charge, it's their job to step up and connect that what's the problem? What is the real problem? And how can we make it work? And that's the difference when you're working um, in a small business that a good leader should be connecting. If they're not, they're doing something wrong. Sure. Now, do you have a team or are you a solopreneur right now? Solopreneur. <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, I just wasn't sure if you had people underneath you yet or not. Yeah, I yet. wish, but no, <laughs> not there yet. <laughs> that is a-okay, right? <laughs> no, most definitely. And But here's the thing. I know that that there are other people who are hiring me and I'm part of their team. So, mm -hmm. and again, these, these are all small businesses. 
So they're connecting with me. I connect with them. And again, it's contractual. But the thing about being contractual is that um, the, the obligation isn't there either way. So if at some point you're like, I don't feel that I can connect with this small business, you don't have a big investment in that. And you can definitely then break the contract and then move forward. And I think that's one of those mindsets that is prevalent now. I'm not saying it's bad, but it gives those that are are being contracted choices that I don't have to work for this toxic X, Y, and Z. There are other people who value me for what I'm offering. And I can just like, I give you my two weeks notice. I'm a move on now. And that's a great point where it, there, it is much tougher to then have to find a new job in the corporate world right. where we're already as entrepreneurs, we're, we're already putting ourselves out there and, you know, making connections and building and growing our networks. So to let a client go can be empowering. And, you know, you follow, you still use some common courtesy or, or contractual right, right. If, if possible. And then right. you move on. Right. And I've done that and it feels great. It feels great when you're able to let go of a client who's no longer serving you. Right. And it's not just that. What I've learned, and I think one of the toughest things, if you look back, was to find clients when I was starting out. Because Mm -hmm. again, I'd never done this before, but you do have to go out, see clients. There are many different, different avenues. And not all clients are, will be a good match for you. But here's the thing. The mindset that I had come from is that you should be taking on all clients because mm-hmm. that that's how business works. That's how you're going to make your money. But I had to teach myself that not all clients are good for you. I've had my encounters of clients that were pretty shady and I just had to cut, I had to teach myself how to cut them off and be like, I'm sorry, I can't serve you because X, Y, Z reason. So uh, with this, you do have to reteach yourself the rules that you need to set your boundaries. Boundaries are important. Um, I like I come from a generation where boundaries did not exist. Okay, so this is all new. We're teaching ourselves boundaries and trying to become better people at the end of it by because of that. But you do have to understand that you do have power to not have to take all clients, especially those clients that are treating you badly and they're trying to cheat you out of stuff. I've had it happen. Yeah. And that's a really good point too. Like depending upon where you are in your journey, that might not be a skill that you've developed yet. And I started at the same place where you were when I started my business. I mean, even decisions when it came down to like branding and what colors Mm -hmm. I was going to use, like I chose colors that I thought would appeal to both males and females because I thought I needed everybody to work with me. And and I didn't want to talk about like values, especially when it comes to like controversial topics like diversity, which shouldn't be controversial, but I digress. Um, I I didn't talk about those because I didn't want to turn off. And then it took time and it took years and it took seeing other people you know, doing those things. And now I feel like my business is exactly what I want it to be. My colors are girly. 
and who cares right. if that turns you off <laughs> and my values are everywhere. And if that turns you off, that's fine. You know, right. it, it's almost a way of, of gatekeeping the people that come into right. your community. So thank you so much for bringing it, that up. It's very much like how we should have personal relationships. Business relationships should be like that because I mean, as a person, we, uh, and that's the thing, that's again, one of those mindsets that we come from, like I come from, is that you have to be likable to everybody. Uh, but in reality, it should not have to be that way. If somebody doesn't like me, fine. That's, they have, they have a right to not like, like me for whatever it is they don't like me for. Um, I don't have to be likable for everybody because it removes authenticity from who you are. And the same thing works for a business. Um, my business shows up front, you know, in my bio that I'm Muslim. Anybody doesn't want to work with a Muslim? Bye. You know, I have zero issues with that. I have, I, I'm, I'm at this point, I'm done pandering to anybody who doesn't want to be like, who doesn't want my services. So, but I have so many people who have willingly reached out to me, those who are friends and even those who just found out about my business, but they reach out to me and want to work with me. And they're some of the nicest people I know. Yeah. It, and it feels, it's empowering and it feels mm -hmm. good. Like I can see if you're listening, you're not seeing <laughs> Shahila's um, face. But like when you talked about that, like you just looked empowered. You're like, I'm not even going to entertain that anymore. No. You know, that confidence. Yeah, that's awesome. But that's the thing. I didn't start out like that. Again, mm -hmm. this you can say that this was just two years ago, beginning of 2020. You do have to go through that process. And that process is very uncomfortable for anybody listening out there, it's going to be unpleasant. And you're going to have to come face to face with a lot of unpleasant emotions when you learn that lesson. Is that you have to make the decision of, A, how do I want to run my business and where my boundaries are? Again, boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. Anybody who's listening, boundaries have to be there. Yeah. And another way that I feel like boundaries have shown up for me is in the time, right? Mm -hmm. A boundary surrounding the time you spend on your business and the time you spend with your family and right. setting those boundaries. One of yeah. my personal boundaries, which is weird or different, I should say, is that Wednesdays are my day like off. I oh, don't wow. do, I don't do phone calls. I don't do like Wednesdays are my day off. Mm. Now, am I ever just like relaxing by the beach? No, no, no. Like, <laughs> That, it's not really that. Sometimes I'm doing family activity, but other times that's just my day to work on my business where right. I can actually work on my business and I'm not working mm -hmm. on my clients' businesses, which is important, right? right? Like right. I love my clients and I give them, you know, my all, but I still have to have a boundary around when I'm doing my own professional development, my right. own business work. Um, and I had to, to set that boundary and stick to it. So right. for my own, the health of myself, the health of my business, you know, you gotta, you gotta make it work and you gotta figure it out and your clients will adapt. You're just right. clear and communicate and your clients adapt. Right. And that's the other thing. I think well, also when you're just starting out as an entrepreneur, the temptation is there, especially monetary temptation. Yeah. We need to be making money off of this, mm -hmm. but um, I think 
if you have, and I know a lot of, um, a lot of, especially young women who do both, who do work for other companies, but they do have their own freelance business on the side. And I think like, that's a very wise decision to you because you do have your backup, um, job that you were doing. That's a consistent source of money, source of income. Otherwise, if you're just reliant on your freelance business, it can be a problem because you do become desperate. And that in, in itself can uh, cause problems because you are not setting boundaries and you are definitely overworking yourself just to get very little money. So those things, uh, again, a lot of those things I had to figure out by myself, like how am I going to be making, because for the first couple of months, yeah, you're making zero money, literally. I, mm -hmm. for my, my first couple of clients, I would just wait, like worked for them for reviews. And that's the thing. That's something you also have to do because you've got nothing to show for. I, for me, I was starting from zero. So I had to build something up. You do have to build something up and you'll be being working for very little money, very little to no money at all for the first couple of months, maybe, maybe a year or so into it before you have enough that you can show and other clients will be like, Oh, I like what you do. And then, you know, take it from there. Yeah, that's a great point too. And, and you talked about, you know, having, starting with your job and a side hustle, which I think many mm. of us have done. And then right. as you get going, I think the way that that snowballs is you start to add various income right. streams. Right. I don't know the stat, but I know like the most wealthy people have X amount of income streams, right? I've seen that like <laughs> post on Facebook. Um, so you start to have different streams and you can break down what those are. And then if, if one stream gets a little thin for a while, right. you've got other, like you still have a backup plan. That's right. And uh, here's the thing. That's also something that I found is that the great thing about freelance and entrepreneurship is the, the chance to grow and the evolution of the business itself. Um, I started off with just my basic three, which I still do. But because I podcasted at the same time, I gained experience with that. I also offer podcasting services, editing services, which I found was a great need as well. I mean, I'm not saying that graphic design is not a need, but when I jumped into it, I didn't realize how saturated it was. I'd be there because there'd be other, you know, young graphic designers out there, wonderful, talented young women. I'm not saying that, you know, they, they're mm -hmm. not talented, but wonderful, young, talented young women. I was competing against, them. I was like, I don't know, how am I going to compete against <laughs> this? And, but, you know, I got some clients, but what I found was that I was getting more clients because there were podcasts was the thing for the pandemic. Everybody suddenly realized mm -hmm. that podcasts exist and we should be listening to them. And more people were creating podcasts, more women especially, and they wanted podcast editors or even just designing stuff for uh, podcasts. And I, when I started offering that, I started getting more clients through that. And now I, that's what I, that's one of those standard things I offer too, is that I offer podcast editing services because I found that uh, women, especially podcast editing, I'm not saying that it's not something that women don't do. I know uh, sound editors that are women, but it was traditionally something that men did. And when women are looking for editors, they're more comfortable working with other women. 
So that was a need that was there. And me and other podcast editors, they were there to fill it at that time, especially when there was an influx of podcasts that were emerging. And that's, you know, it just sort of happened because I did both things simultaneously. And then the podcast editing just became a part of my business too. You just add it in. That's the great thing about it is like with a Mm -hmm. traditional job, it's very rare to add in stuff or new stuff and, you know, be making money off of it. It's usually the same thing. If you're a copywriter, you just get paid for copywriting. You don't get paid for anything else. So, but with this, I can add on as much or as little as I want. If for, like in the future, if I think, oh, product photography is not working out for me, I could take it out. It's fine. Not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And it's that's its own little sense of, of diversifying, yeah. right? So right. Like, that's the other piece is that as we know, technology is always evolving. You know, mm. I don't know what the next big thing is going to be, whether it's like a new social platform, like TikTok kind right. of hit the in the past like year or two, I feel like TikTok really emerged as a marketing tool and not just a, a dancing app that our kids would use. And <laughs> when things like that happen, it provides us as innovators, as entrepreneurs to look at it and figure out how you might be able to serve that market and right, step right. into an area, you know, so it, you can just evolve your business constantly pivoting and evolving right. in order right. to to grow in the way that works best for you. Right. But I would caution, um, and this is not to say that you should not like take in new trends. My only caution is, is that with every new trend, I would not, I would see that what is it really that you can do? If somebody asks me that I want you to plan out TikTok videos for myself, you make videos, you can do TikTok videos. I'm like, I'll be sitting here. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is not something I'm going <laughs> to touch. Okay. Like I do my own podcast videos, but that's a different, that's a different demon mm-hmm. altogether. Uh, when you make TikTok videos and to make them successful, it needs a host of different skills. It's not just you're making a video, you become viral. It's people don't understand the level of planning and thought that needs to go into making a viral video. It's not the same as making a video. So whatever new thing it is, it looks good on paper and you think you can make money off of it, but you have to really think, is it something that I can do? I think that would be my only caution. Sure, sure. Make sure it's aligned with your interests, your skills, your experience, of course. Yeah. No, I agree with that too. I'd love if you could share where our listeners and viewers can continue to connect with you, learn more about you, learn more about the services that you offer. Thank you so much, Meg. Well, for my uh, freelance graphic design services and even my podcast editing services, um, even though I do have to update my website, websites are important people, so please keep them updated. I do have to update with my podcast (laughs) editing services, but you can find me on www.creativecookiejar.com. That's where I offer my my, freelance services. And for my podcast, you can... Find me wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search out I'm a Muslim and that's okay. And you can find uh, listen on my website as well, www.imamuslimpodcast.com. That's where you'd be able to find me. And I just want to say that I love your branding. I love how you've like 
wound that cookie jar <laughs> analogy throughout your website, Cappy. Um, and as somebody who does value um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, I love the concept of your podcast. I know you've got, you know, you've got Ask a Muslim um, opportunities. And right. I think that that's, I think that it's really important for those of us who aren't familiar with the Muslim faith and traditions. Um, and I think it's great that you're willing to be that like person that people can go and to and feel comfortable asking questions. Most definitely. If anybody, and this is to all your listeners, I usually have my Ask a Muslim segment it's, uh, once a year. I do it. I'm, I will be doing it um, this coming, most likely April. Um, I collect all th- uh, sorts of questions and I've answered all sorts of questions for in the past two years because here's the thing um, people are curious and I've answered a- a- any number of questions f- upon any subject if anybody has a question please feel free to reach out to me um, via email um, you can email me at shella.fazy01 at gmail.com um, and just ask me your question or if you want to know more about something, I'm more than happy to discuss that. That's great. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for joining us, joining us here today for joining me for a second time. It was just as exciting and pleasant to speak with you again. Um, and I really appreciate you. No, thank you so much for, you know, giving me a second chance. You didn't need a second chance. Let's just make that clear. You didn't need a second chance. I needed the redo. So thank you. All right. That is it for this episode of Familypreneur. Join us inside of the Familypreneur Business Accelerator to follow through on the action steps from this episode alongside an incredibly supportive community. Plus, access our robust training vaults and a variety of exclusive monthly virtual events, including co-working, happy hours, and bonus training sessions. Head over to familypreneur.co and join us today. Until next time, I'll see you over in the Familypreneur Business Accelerator. Bye for now.